Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. I am, like always, really excited to be here with you today to talk about episode three of season two of Downton Abbey. I'm not going to make a long introduction because you all know by now that I love to talk, so let's just start right away. Um, this episode, I called it the one where they raise a toast to Edith. Let's start, shall we? So now we're in July 1917. So it's approximately a year before the end of the war. And if you remember last episode, they said that they would turn Downton Abbey into a convalescent home. Well, this is it. The house is turned into a convalescent home. In the beginning of the episode, you see beds that are being made in the drawing room. And you realize that now we have new fights coming in that opposed Isabel on one side and Cora on the other. Because Isabel, well, she, she was a nurse. And so she kind of represents the hospital. But Cora, it's her house. Like she's the countess. So it's like you have two words collided. And well, let's just say the cohabitation will not be easy. Like Cora, she asks, where are we to sit? Like in which room are we going to live? You know, now, <laughs> because you kind of invaded uh, our house. And said, well, the small library, then the boudoir. Well, if I can find a place for what I want to do in the boudoir. So, yeah, well, you don't have a lot of places anymore. Cora is already annoyed by that. You can see it. And then, um, well, Sybil, because obviously she's here because now she's a nurse. She asked why the home would be only for officers, because every man needs to be treated. And my daughter Clarkson said, well, the hospital is for officers and the point of making Downton Abbey a convalescence home was to have one near the hospital. So if the hospital is for officers, then Downton Abbey is for officers too. And that's the moment Violet comes in. She has to come with a good line and, you know, like she can't just make an entrance just without anybody noticing her. And so obviously she says, well, <laughs> thank God it's only for officers. You can't mix people, like mix ranks. That's not really good. She says they need rest, so will they be able to rest the like officers and non-officers together? Like, I'm not sure they can work out. Obviously, Sybil does not agree, and she goes to see her. I said, "Well, they can like be together. I can be in the same room. They can rest together." And Vi is like, "Oh, you know, she's almost offended. Like, oh, hey, I'm not that snobbish. Yeah, I'm very good at mixing. We always dance the first waltz at the servants' ball, didn't we, Carson?" But she's not completely wrong when she says, no, it's, uh, it's a lot to ask them for not at their best. But, you know, I think about what Matthew said in the first episode, you know, like war has a way of distinguishing the things that matter and the things that don't. And clearly, well, rank, <laughs> I'm not sure that really matters at the moment. But anyway. And then the big question that everyone is asking upstairs or downstairs is who will be in charge? And so Daisy downstairs in the servants hall, she asked Mr. Carson, are we working for Mrs. Crawley now? And O'Brien, she's like, she feels insulted by just this sentence. Like, we're not. Like, there's no way. I mean, we know how she likes the Crawleys. We remember what she said about them in episode two of season one. And so Carson, he tries to uh, calm the situation. And he says, I'm sure the chain of command will be sorted out soon. Or oh, there'll be blood on the stairs. I like the fact that O'Brien always needs to be dramatic, 
but even if I don't like her, she has really good lines. It kind of messed up the life of everybody because, well, you have upstairs, it's their house, where are they going to live? But downstairs, like, for who are we working for? And what are we supposed to do? Because now it's going to be more people in it. And like, where are they going to eat? And Carson said, well, apparently they will share the dining room with the officers that are well. <laughs> and I love Mrs. Babble when she says, am I running a canteen now? And obviously, I mean, just imagine, she cooks all day long and she does a lot of things. But now she has to cook for officers as well. Like her workload just not even doubled, like tripled. Like this is a lot to do, a lot to ask. Like they all need to find new arrangements and a new way of working, you know. And again, like I said, upstairs, they're also wondering who would be in charge. And what Edith says, well, I think Cousin Elizabeth thinks it will be her. And they're all like, yes, please no. Because like Mary said, I mean, she's going to turn us mad at the end. So this is the big question. And what I like in that question she asked, because say, who's supposed to be? Because obviously it's about hospital, but it's connected to the hospital. So maybe it should be someone with medical training. But Isabel obviously thinks it's her. Like she, she didn't even thought about not being her. So I like this um, kind of fight between the two of them because last episode we had Cora having a bit of a fight with Violet. And it's been a while since we had Violet and Isabel, but not Isabel, like truly in the following episodes, it's Isabel versus Cora. That's our new fight. And I have to say, I really like it because I kind of like angry Cora. So again, this big question, who would be in charge? And so O'Brien has no intention to work for Mrs. Crawley. And like usual, she talks with Cora and she tries to, you know, kind of manipulate her in her own way. And she talks about Thomas because now we know Thomas works in the village at the hospital. Thanks to Cora and Robert. Robert is really pleased. He doesn't really know that it's thanks to him, but anyway. And to say, well, maybe he can be put in charge of Downton Abbey. And first, Corey's like, uh, the footman? Is this a joke? And it's true, he's not a footman anymore. He's a corporal. He has been to war. He was wounded. He trained in medicine. So if you just see like that, it's not a stupid idea. It's just that we know Thomas. And so it's just, it's Thomas. We're like, yeah, maybe that's not a good idea. But she thinks about it. I like actually, like I said, Ryan manipulator and say, well, Mrs. Crawley forgot that it is your house. So she can't just like boss you around because technically you are the queen in this place. And you see, well, Crawley, she's not, she's always more in the shadows. I don't think she's used to stand her ground a lot, but obviously it's quite tricky because, well, Isabel thinks she's going to be in charge. But so, like we said, since Thomas is back, we have again all Thomas and O'Brien plotting and smoking. And so she tells him about her plan. Like, I mean, would you like to be in charge of Downton Abbey? And he's not sure. And she's like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't want to be the boss of the place. And he's, he tries to understand why she wants him to do it. Because obviously there must be a reason. And she says that she wants to stop uh, Mrs. Crawley to give orders to her ladyship. And obviously, Thomas is like, okay, this is weird. Because when I was there before the war, you hated her. Maybe hate is stronger, but you know, we remember episode seven. And said, so, well, I, yeah, I changed, okay? Well, we know why she changed, you know. She kind of killed Cora's baby, but let's just not talk about that anymore. And she said that she 
won't hurt her. Well, she doesn't want to hurt Cora as she won't let anyone else hurt her. So she became protective for Cora now because, again, I think she feels so guilty about what happened that it's her way like, to make her feel better. A bit like Robert, who, you know, was so ashamed that he didn't love Cora when they got married, that now he has to tell her not every day, but a lot that he loves her. Well, not that much in season two, because season two is a very, very difficult season for Cobert. Bananas. But, you know, you get the picture. So Thomas in the end is not against the idea. He kind of like in the end. So yeah, he's kind of okay with it. And so then we have a scene in the library with Violet, Cora, Robert, Isabel, and Dr. Clarkson. And so it's like um, an update on what is going to happen. Robert's like, where are we going to live in? Isabel says they're going to live in the small library and in the boudoir. Robert is, where are we going to eat? He said, well, are you going to share the dining room with the officers? He's like, no. He says, no, there's no way I'm sharing. And Isabel, she says, well, we all need to make sacrifices. I just want to say this is kind of strong to her to say that because they already make sacrifices. I know for her downtown is like a castle and she doesn't really see at home, but it's their home. It's not just their house, it's their home. They live in it and they agreed to give some rooms to be turned into a convalescence home. And they just ask, since it's still their home where they live, I understand why Robert doesn't want to share his dining room with uh, some of the officers because, I mean, at that time, they didn't know how long the war was still going to, to last. So imagine if it was, I don't know, maybe four years more. And they're like, okay, so for four years, we need to eat with other officers. Like, they're invading their privacy. So on that, I'm totally on Robert's side. Like, what sacrifices did she make? Like, she, she loves to work. And okay, her son is at war, so this is really hard. Okay, but she doesn't give her a house. So I know that it's... Like I said, for some people, downtown BST, it doesn't feel like a home, but it's their home. So I think it, it's not really nice to her to say that they don't make enough sacrifices when they literally give a part of their house. So I do agree with Robert on that, with him not wanting to share the dining room because it's the only one they are together as a family. So yeah. And then Dr. Clarkson says to Cora that Thomas would be here to be in charge of downtown Abbey because she asked him. And... <laughs> When Robert hears that, he's like, what? Uh, okay, obviously he's not pleased because we know he was already shocked by the fact that Thomas was back at Downton because he still doesn't know that it's thanks to him. I think first it's quite shocking because Thomas was a footman, but it's even more shocking when you know that he wanted Thomas out of Downton before Thomas like gave his notice they wanted to get rid of him. But Crush, he's so pleased. And so you, you realize he doesn't know what to say because she's so pleased by the idea. And I think she's pleased at the idea because first, well, she can't have it, O'Brien had it, but she can't have it. And that means if Thomas is in charge, Isabel won't be. The thing is that, that she wants. Yeah, you can see how she's so pleased with the idea. And she's so pretty. Come on, you know I needed to say that at least once in the episode. And I already said it, but... Her style in season two is just, I think, one of my favorite. Even Violet is pleased because she realized that Isabel wanted to be in charge. So she's kind of pleased at the idea too that Isabel won't be in charge of Downton Abbey. Well, maybe not alone. And she says, I say good. If someone's to manage things, let it be our creature. Oh, Violet. 
so obviously downstairs they know about the idea of Thomas managing Downton Abbey. So Carson, he goes to talk to Robert about it. Because obviously Carson is like, well, I tried so hard to get rid of the man and now he's back. And like he's back, like in terms of rank, he's above me. <laughs> this must be a joke, like truly. And I love this scene between um, the two of them. Her ladyship fixed it all with Clarkson and she was so pleased I didn't know what to say. I cannot have him working here because he is a thief. You know she's ignorant of Thomas's crimes. We agreed at the time that would be best. The way Carson says that, the way he said, I cannot have him working here because he's a thief, and the way he looks at Robert, it's like, really? You can't do anything? Are you the master of this house or not? I doubt that you really realize that Carson knows Robert for so long. Like, he, he saw him grow, literally. Like, you can feel it. I mean, this is all Robert's fault. Because since the beginning, he never said anything about Thomas. And I remember when they knew for a fact that he was a thief, she was pregnant, so he didn't want it to upset her. I can, can understand that. My trouble with that is there's so many things that he doesn't want to tell her to not upset her, or I don't know why. And I think, I don't know if he thinks her fragile, but it's kind of, um, sometimes it feels like he infantilizes, that's how you say it. Cora, like she treats her some, sometimes she, like she's a child and she can't understand that she's too fragile or too young to, or naive, or I don't know, to understand. And it's actually something that Julian said. And Robert does that a lot, especially with his wife and sometimes with his daughters. I mean, he could have told her, you know, there has been plenty of times before, before she was pregnant and after. Tell her, well, I need to tell you something. Carson, he kind of think, and I think too, that Thomas is a thief, so maybe he needs to go away. That is simple. I believe that Cora would not object to the fact that, yes, he has to go. Because her issue with Bates is the same thing. Because Bates has been accused of theft. And so, obviously, she's like, why are you keeping him? Because if he's a thief, you know. And he, in the household, he has been accused by Thomas of theft too. So, if he had told her, it's never been Bates, he's nice, it's Thomas. Maybe first she would have accepted Bates better. And she would never have gone to so much trouble to get Thomas back at Downton. So no one is pleased about it, Thomas except O'Brien, Cora and Violet. But I still believe that for Cora and Violet is more like so that Isabel would not be in charge of Downton. It's my opinion. And then another scene that I love is when Thomas arrives at Downton. He arrives by the front door. So Carson, obviously, he sees that. He's like, uh, what are you doing? And well, Thomas, he's enjoying this. He's like, well, I am the manager now. You know, I'm not a servant anymore, so I can come by that door. And well, Carson still calls him Thomas. And it's Sergeant Barrow now. Acting Sergeant, I believe. Yes, because um, so before Thomas was a corporal, but even Robert says, well, no one will accept orders from a corporal. And so... Dr. Clarkson said, yeah, well, now um, we made the decision to make him acting sergeant while he'd be managing Downton Abbey. Then we have a shot that is, it's my favorite shot of the episode, just so beautifully made. First, you have Robert in the library. He looks what has been done to his house, you know, and then we have Cora in the Great Hall and she does the same thing. Robert comes out of the library and then we have Sybil and Edith coming out of the drawing room and they all walk to the front door where the officers are coming. And the way the shot is made, we're like, okay, we're ready. And then so you go outside and you see all the officers and then you go 
inside again. I just, this was absolutely beautiful. And Matthew is here. Like, nice surprise. And I really like, even if Isabel kind of gets on my nerves in season two, I still love their relationship. And so when he comes to greet his mother, she's so glad to see him. Like, there's a pause when she sees him. Like, is this real? Like, are you really here, alive in one piece? And I think this is so sweet. I love it. And then while Mary, she sees him and she is almost frozen, like right there, because we know she still loves him. And so they talk together and he says that he's here because, uh, you know, it's the tour that he says he's going to do, the tour of Yorkshire. It's a kind of a recruiting tour where they try to recruit people for the army. And he even says, I think the general should come here because it would be great for him to um, see what you've done of the place, what, what you are doing for the officers. And what you see then Isabel bossing people around and Matthew telling Mary, well, I suppose she's driving cousin Cora mad. And Mary being like, I'm not saying anything, but we already know it's yes, because she said herself that she will drive everybody mad. Then there's a scene that was cut that was just before Cora comes downstairs when, when Isabel is in the servant's hall and then Cora comes downstairs a bit angry. But there was a scene before that I was cut that I thought was really interesting. So I'm going to try to, like usual, explain it to you. So Cora is in the small library writing something. And Mrs. Hughes comes in um, and she said that she's sorry to bother her leadership. Cora says, it's no bother. And Mrs. Hughes, she <laughs> makes a remark saying, well, you managed to save this room then. And Cora answers, by fighting Mrs. Crowley tooth and nail. And then Mrs. Hughes, where she says why she's actually here. That's just it, my lady. Mrs. Crawley is downstairs now, giving orders to the servants. And, and then Cora's like, oh, she's what? Because it's Cora's servants. She's the mistress of the house. So she's the one who gives orders to the servants, not Mrs. Crawley. So that is the first thing she's like, if went in the hand. And then so Mrs. Hughes answers her. She's arranging work rosters, but I must be included in these decisions if they to make any sense. And Cora's like, well, of course you must. Because, well, yes, she's the housekeeper, so obviously. And Cora, she's angry. I like what is written in scribble. Cora has risen from her chair with a fighting face. And she says, and so, very definitely, must I. For me, she's completely in the right there. It's her house. It's her servants. And so then you have the scene when Cora arrives in the servants' hall. And you see her face. And when she says to Isabel, should we continue this upstairs? And the look she gave her, uh, Isabel realized that, yes, they need to leave. And so actually at that moment, you have Mrs. Hughes being behind her. And actually she is following her because it's her that came to ask Cora for help. And it's something that I've read um, somewhere. I don't remember. I've read a lot of Downton Abbey books and I don't remember where it was, but that Apparently, Mrs. Hughes arrived at Downton when Cora and Robert were already Lord and Lady Grantham. So it would have been after the death of Robert's father. And so they even say in the book that it would have been easier in that way because when Mrs. Hughes arrived, she just had to adapt to how Cora had things planned. So it's easier when your boss was already there than when you have a change. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, for example, the housekeeper that that was there before she was the housekeeper first for the dowager and then to Cora and so obviously you have to well adapt because every person is different it, so it was easier so she just had to come and adapt to 
Cora, so she only just had Cora as her big boss. And so they just said that thanks to that, the relationship always worked because they kind of knew how they both worked. So it worked. I don't know if that makes sense, but anyway. And you see in that way that she's not afraid to say, there's someone down there that giving orders and I don't know what to do. And I think you should know it. So I realized that there's a, a really good relationship between the two of them. And we do not see that a lot. Well, definitely not in the beginning, maybe more in the last seasons. Bananas. I like it because Mrs. Hughes is one of my favorite characters too. And she's the mommy of downstairs. So it kind of makes sense. Anyway, back to Cora uh, versus Isabel. So she is very angry. And I'm on Cora's side at the moment completely. Then they're in the library. I think this is the library. Yeah. With Roberts and Dr. Clarkson. And they try to, uh, you know, they try to understand and, you know, make everything calmer to organize things. Cora is very angry. And like I said, she's right. She says, well, you give orders to my servant and you, like you give, it's almost like you give orders to me and to my servant. I mean, we need to find a solution. And Robert, he tries at first to calm the situation. But Mary comes in and she said that she had a letter from Evelyn Napier. That is someone we already talked about. Well, you know, I love Evelyn Napier. And so he learned that there were a convalescence home. So he asked if he could come here once he's discharged from the hospital. So obviously, Corrine Robert's like, yes, of course, he's a friend of ours if you want to come here. And I'm on their side, like, yes, you can come. It's our friend. And then where Clarkson and Isabel are like, well, no, he can't because that's not how he's supposed to do. You know, he was in this hospital, I don't know where, so he's supposed to go to the convalescent home that is attached to this hospital. And Corrine, at that point, she's like, really, her what is so, like, it's unbelievable. It's, it's almost like I lend you my house, but it's not like you took property of it. Because I can't do anything I want. I can't invite anyone I want. Like, I don't want you to see that. And so she actually turns to Robert like, please say something, help me. And, oh my God, I love angry Cora. I love angry Robert too. I even want to say I love angry human being. That is for another time. But God, love that moment. One of my favorite of this episode, definitely. Now, I think perhaps I should make one thing clear. Downton is our house and our home, and we will welcome in it any friends or relations we choose. And if you do not care to accept that condition, then I suggest you give orders for the nurses and the patients and the beds and the rest of it to be packed up and shipped out at once. Oh my God. I don't know how many times I just watched this scene because I love how he says it. It's just incredible. Love it. Cora's expression, she's, she's glowing at that moment. And I'm on his side again. Because I know there are rules, okay, I, I agree with that. But like he says, it's still my house, my home. If there's a friend that says he wants to come here, he will come because it's my fucking house. And so why Clarkson, because Clarkson realized that he wants to go by the rules, but he also doesn't want someone to get cross with him. Like when Cora asked uh, for Thomas, he didn't want her to be cross to expand her. And this is kind of the same because he realized that for this to work, they need to, well, find a way to make it work together. So you have to make concessions. And that is one of them. And so you're like, okay, this is the argument. This is the end of it. We're we cool and everything is fine. And then Isabel has to go right into it. And what I love the most when she says that, it's Dr. Clarkson's face. It's not just the expression of his face. It's his whole body. Oh, just one more thing. The dog. What should we do to stop ISIS? getting into the patient's rooms. 
I can answer that. Absolutely nothing. Clarkson. He's like, oh no. He's almost like, okay, I'm leaving. This is going to be fine. And she stopped talking again. She's like, oh God, please no. And her reaction, ah. And I love what Robert says because, yeah, it's still my house. And so I'm totally on their side. I know there are rules and, you know, you need to have rules to make everything work. But like I said, it's still their home. And so then you see a bit of the life now that the offices are in. And Robert is reading his paper in the small library and you hear officers playing ping pong next, I want to say next door, but it's not a door because it just uh, cuts the library in two parts. And you can see how annoying it is. You know, I, I understand both sides and it can be hard at first to adjust to someone. Someone is in your house. Again, it's, it's maybe a castle, but still, yeah. <laughs> home and you can feel a bit uncomfortable because it's your intimacy that just been kind of violated in a way even if they said yes and so yeah but i mean it's just beginning of Coravis is open no it's not the end and i really like it what i love is with this storyline Cora she is a bit on the front side a bit more because she was not really in season one and she kind of stand up for herself because usually she's, I'm not saying that she's agrees to everything, but she's more quiet. And now she kind of fights it. Okay, <laughs> okay, stand down. It's my house. And I really like it to see her in a bit of another side, not just defending and doing what she can for Mary or any of her daughters, but she was mostly Mary. And now it's really like defending even her own honor as Countess of Grantham, mistress of this house. And I quite like it. And so they're all together. Is it the library again? Yeah, maybe. Again with Clarkson and Robert and everyone is here. Because they talk about the visit of the general. The how it would go. Then Cora says, well, Matthew told me that Lavinia would come too. And Isabel, she's, she's kind of shocked. She says, well, he never said anything to me. <laughs> oh, and then I like that. Cora is really enjoying saying. Does he need your permission? I think I should go around with him. You and Lady Grantham will both come with us. But when do you want to talk about treatments? The treatments and the house. You can see that Clarkson, when he says that the treatments and the house, he tries to say in a way, do not get angry, everything will be fine. And when he says that Isabel and Cora will come with the general to go round, Cora, she's pleased. She's like, oh yeah, like she's pleased to be included but Isabel. She is not, because she's not alone in this. So this is the difference, because Crush is glad to have at least a half of something on that score, you know, like a half of importance in that. Isabel is not. She's like, well, no, I want everything. I don't want to share like the responsibilities with her. And so while the general comes in, he arrives with Matthew. And we have, like in the first season, Alastair Bruce, the historical advisor. And now he's actually one of the officers with the general. And so when they welcome, it's Thomas who is standing at the door, which is usually Carson's place. And you realize how he enjoys it. Like the look that they exchange with Carson is just, <laughs> I kind of like it. Because to be honest, I'm still not sure I like Thomas um, in season two, but it's difficult when you have seen the whole show because when you know more about the characters and the journey, you tend to like them even at moments where you didn't like them before. I don't know if you know what I mean. So it's really hard for me to remember, but I do not believe I quite liked him in season two. 
but I still like the the tensions and obviously if all the characters were all lovely and you know had nothing a bit hateable about them the show would be completely boring and so the tour just the introduction to everybody Isabel introduced herself and she's like and I will go with you on the tour to explain to you all treatments that we do and then Clarkson comes and says well Mrs. Cray and Lady Wentham will come with us and they all, both of them trust to steal the general's attention. <laughs> and then with the two, there's a scene that was just really cute. Um, in this scene, you have Matthew and Robert talking together, but there's, the general is, is playing a game in the library because the library has turned to kind of a relaxing place, like you have a ping pong table, it needs to play games. So he's playing a game. And just, if you don't remember that, just watch this scene and don't put your attention on... Robert or Matthew, because technically that's what you do, because they're talking. Put your attention on Cora. She is so cute, truly, because the general is playing, so he's playing the game. She's so cute. God, now I can't, like, I watched the scene. I'm like, Matthew, Robert, who cares? She's just so cute in that scene. And so then there's dinner. During the dinner, the general asks to Dr. Clarkson, who is in charge when you're not here? And... Cora and Isabel are sitting opposite each other. They kind of look at each other at that moment, like fighting with their eyes, like, is it me? Is it you? You know? And Isabel, you can see how confident she is that it's her. And Dr. Clarkson says that both Isabel and Cora will manage Downton. They will share the responsibility. And at that moment, Isabel is disappointed. You see that on her face. Her face collapses. Like, she's like, what? But Cora, she is glowing. That's all she wanted. I never believed she wanted to have everything for herself, what she would prefer it. But she's not stupid. She said, well, if we need to have someone from the hospital, maybe it's best to have someone that knows it because she knows that. She doesn't know anything about medicine. But she is so happy that she can still be a bit the manager of her own house. And really, like, she's happy. And we had Thomas and O'Brien listening to the door and they are delighted because obviously O'Brien does what she wanted. And then Thomas, technically, so he has two bosses now, Isabel and Cora. And so he knows that Cora is on his side, technically. So it's a win-win for almost everybody except Isabel. She's the only one disappointed. And so, like I said, the house is turned into a convalescence home. They did a kind of a house tour. So I thought that that would be... My French word of the day, house. And in French, house, it's maison. And it's feminine, so it's une maison. It's written M-A-I-S-O-N. So a house in French is une maison. But it's not all that is happening in this tour. Like I said, the house being turned into a convalescent home changed everything, obviously, because it changed the life of everybody. And so now we're going to talk about Edith. Because Edith, she tries to find something to do. She tries to be useful. And at the beginning, you have Isabel saying, well, Edith, you need to do something. She's like, well, yeah, but I don't know what to do. And I feel like she's kind of lost since um, she stopped working at the farm because she loved it. And so then she has a chat with Sybil. And Sybil tells her, you need to find a purpose, a new one. You have one when you went to the farm, so you need a new one. And I like what she says. You have a talent that none of the rest of us have. Just find out what it is and use it. It's doing nothing that's the enemy. So she tries to 
stay occupied. And she is, when the officers come, she takes their orders for books and she talks with them. So she, she tries to do something because I think when you taste once to the fact of being tired, but like really tired because you did something physically, you do not want to go back to what you did before. And I think what is what happened to Sibor and it's what is happening to Edith. She loved the fact of, you know, I went to the farm, I had people, I did something useful instead of just waiting all day and reading a book or I don't know. So, you know, she kind of takes care a bit of the officers. And we have a sweet scene with Captain Smiley. So it's at night and we understand that maybe he just arrived at the, the house. He wants to write a letter to his parents and he asked the others that were there and they all said that he should ask Edith. So first you see that if all the others said that it was Edith, you should ask if you have a request. You see that she kind of created a relation. I mean, relations may be a big word, but something with everybody. So this is really nice and rewarding for her. And so well, the thing is he never wrote because he's left-handed and he, well, he doesn't have his hand anymore. And he wants to tell his mother that he lost his hand and but he don't, doesn't know how to make it. So Edith says she's going to help him and they're going to write the letter together. I think this scene is really sweet because we were not used to Edith, especially in season one, being very altruistic. You know, she was a lot self-centered, not as much as Mary, but a lot more like, does it affect me? So I'm not sure that if it doesn't, if I really care. And now she kind of opens up, maybe because, again, she tasted work and she wants to do things that matter. So I really like her. She's much more nicer and lovable in this season. So you realize she found a purpose. So she has something to do now that the house is doing convalescence and she can participate and help, which is good. And so during the tour, you have the general that is speaking with some of the officers and Isabel and Cora being specialists, but kind of worried, like, are they going to say something bad about it? And either she just says, oh, no, like, for example, they talk to Captain Smiley. No, this is, he's really nice. He can't say something bad. And then about another officer, no, don't worry. He's okay. And Mary first, like, how do you know? And Cora, she looks at her and says, how do you know so much about a pack of strangers? They're not strangers to me. And you can see Cora, she has a smile on her face. You can see, like, she's proud. And I like it when she's proud of her daughters. And I think this is really sweet. And then during dinner, so after... The general asked Clarkson who would be in charge. He says that after talking with the officers. And I feel there is one among you whose generosity is in danger of going unremarked. And at that moment, you have a little like stare fight between Isabel and Cora because Isabel should be like, it's going to be me. You can feel it on her face. And the general then says, It seems the daily cares and needs of the patients are being dealt with quietly and efficiently by Lady Edith. They're all surprised. Edith the first is like, me. <laughs> and they all raise a toast to Edith, so this is my title. But they're surprised, but oh my God, you can see Cora, when she hears Edith, she's surprised, but she's so happy and proud, and Robert is proud, and Violet is proud. I, I think this is really sweet, because we do not see a lot of moments, especially well, since since season one, Edith has never been like the one that you praise or the one that make her parents proud. So I thought this scene was really sweet and really nice and rewarding for her. That's why it's my title, because I think it was kind of cool. 
So now let's talk a bit more about our servants, because like I said, everyone is affected by the house turning to a convalescent home. And the first is Leng, because obviously we know that he has shell shock. And so he's not maybe the one that is the more pleased with the idea of having officers wounded from the war in the house. And we have a scene that was very emotional between Lang and Mrs. Papmore. She comes to him after where he, where you see that he's struggling with life, definitely, with everything that he does. And Mrs. Papmore, she comes to see him and um, he says to her, I sometimes feel I'm the only one who knows what's going on over there. And you all wander around, ironing clothes and cleaning boots and choosing what's for dinner. While over the channel, men are killed and maimed, blown to pieces. We know more than you think. The war hasn't left us alone. It hasn't left me alone, however it may look. Have you any idea how scared they are? How scared they all are? I lost my nephew, my sister's boy. He was shot for cowardice. That's what they said. But I knew him, and he'd never have done such a thing if he hadn't been half out of his mind with fear. Don't blame him. It was him, but it could have been me. It could have been any of us. I love this because... We said shot for cowardice, it's worth than death. Even Robert said so. But Robert the first said, you know, to not think about it because we could never know the truth because we weren't there. And we should not judge because we weren't there. And now you have Lang that, that has been there that says to not blame him because it was awful. And I, maybe I, would, I could have been the one. So I think this was a really touching moment and again, having Lang saying that they're all scared made me think again about Robert, who so wants to be there. You know, when he said that I envy their ability to sleep at night. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not sure they can sleep at night. So again, I, I think Lang was a very interesting character to have on the show. But then, sadly, during dinner, he let slip that Mrs. Patmore's nephew was shot for cowardice. And at that moment, obviously everyone, like there's a silence because they're like, what? And everyone's looking at Mrs. Papmore and she just collapses at that moment because this is this strong secret to say to someone and then he just tells it to everybody. And I mean, you'd be so sorry for Mrs. Papmore at that moment. Like, I love her so much. Like, oh, it's awful. And Mrs. Hughes, she is very upset with him because they, they know that he is not well. I think they all know kind of about share shock, but that doesn't mean it doesn't give you the right to uh, let's leave things. And he even says, I, I didn't thought, and that is the problem. You should think, Mr. Lang, you're not the only member of the walking wounded in this house. And so what she says uh, at that moment makes me think about what she says to Mr. Bates in, I think it was episode three of season one, when she says we all carry scars inside and out because it's true even Leng technically from the outside you think like he's all right but he's not and so um, it works with life in general it's not because someone looks fine or looks like everything is good with their life that they are fine and yeah we realize that Mrs. Hughes uh, relationship with Miss Papmore evolved in this season and I really like it and so like I said there's nothing good about having soldiers in the house like when they all arrive he looks at them from uh, the gallery and you see him like struggling truly because it reminds him because of his soldiers they all dress in uniforms and so it reminds him of the front and 
obviously that will not help him try to stay um, calm. <laughs> then in the middle of the night, we hear a scream. And so it's Mr. Lang who's shouting in his sleep. Tarzan the first one to come to help. And O'Brien comes to and O'Brien tries to reassure him because we know that she's seen uh, cases of Shakespeare before. One of her brother had a... And so she feels close to Lang because of that. And you feel sorry too because it's not his fault. And he even says, I don't have to go back, right? He said, no, you don't have to go back. You made a bad dream. Everything will be fine. The guy is not well at all. The thing is, they don't know what to say, what to do to help him. That's the issue. And when the general leaves, so they all stand at the outside at the door, like they usually do, the servants. And Lang, you see him shaking, like he's crying. And Robert, he sees that he goes to him. And Lang, he ends up crying in his arms. He almost collapses on Robert's chest. And he's like, oh, well, <laughs> okay, that's strong. I think Robert, since the big, well, maybe not beginning, beginning, but probably since at least last episode, he realized that Lang might have Shashoku. Oh, like how he acts, what is happening to him is a consequence to the war. And I like the fact that he's concerned. Like there's a general and he sees him crying and he goes to him. And then there was a scene that was cut when, so the general left and there's only Carson and Robert and they talk about what just happened. And Robert asked Carson, how is he? Carson answers, I'm sorry about that, my lord. I believe he had a bad time at the front, poor fellow. And Robert says, no apologies, Carson. I have not served at the front, but I know what I've been through. There's no need to apologize to me. I think I say almost every episode about the fact that Robert is very, is really a kind man, but he is. And I think, well, I'm still going to say it because it is true. You know, the fact that Carson wants to apologize because obviously what happens is not proper at all. And Robert's like, you don't need to apologize because it's not even Lang's fault what is happening. You know, it's the, it's what happened to him. I thought it was a sweet scene that they cut. It's the first time that Robert actually says that he knows what they've been through. Because since the beginning, he's so like, I want to go to war, I want to go to war. But he never talks about the fact that he already has been to war, that he knows how it can be like. And this is the first time he says it. And so still about Lang after that, Carson and Mrs. Hughes, they talk about it and say, well, he's not a bad lad, but he can't stay because his place is not here if he can work properly. It's like we said when Mr. Bates arrived, if you can't do your work, no one else can do it for you. Because if you can't do the work, the whole chain of work is uh, derailed. I don't know if I can say that that way. Yeah. And so Carson, when he comes to see Lang to tell him that he needs to leave. But actually, Lang, he kind of sensed it and he's already packing. And I really do like this scene between the two of them. I've let you down, Mr. Carson. For that, I'm sorry. We let you down. You weren't suited for work and I should have spotted that. And this is obviously sad because uh, you want him to be able to work, but it's not possible. But Carson to say that we let you down, I think it was a strong thing to say and very sweet. And he says, you know, when you're ready to work again, you can ask me and I can give you an letter of reference, you know. And Langer says, you're a kind man. Like, this is very nice of you. Because they are, you know. Even if there are characters that are a bit more, well, less kind. I like the fact that we have a chance to see another side of all of them. That when you're like, oh, this is a really bad person, I hate them. You're like, oh yeah, maybe not totally. But you always have people that you can't stand. 
But I like the fact that generous give you a chance to see something else that maybe will make you change your mind. And we always knew that Carson was kind, but I, I like it because he's fair, but he's kind too, you know. What about Branson? Because Branson was one of the only members of the staff that hasn't been caught for war. And no one has actually pulled some strings to not make him go to war. He just never had a letter. Well, this time he has been called up, but he says that he will not fight. He doesn't want to fight for an English king, but we already knew that. And so Sybil, she's a bit worried for him. First, she's worried by the fact that he's been called up because obviously you go to war. We don't know if you're going to come back. But I think she's even more worried by the fact that he doesn't want to fight and that he wants to challenge the, the institution and he might go to jail and have a record and stuff like that. So she's worried for him. Uh, in the servants' hall, he talks about the Russian Revolution. And so at that time, the Tsar was in prison with his family and they all say, oh, how terrible. And he says, oh, come on, they're not going to hurt them. And it's funny that he's the one that they're not going to hurt them and they all think, well, why not? And he's like, well... Why would they want to do that? You know, it's, it's stupid. And I like what Anna says to make an example. And it's at that moment that Leng says, you don't know who's going to get killed when this thing starts. And that's when he lets slip that. Mrs. Patmore's nephew was shot for cowardice. But he's, he's like, they're not going to kill them. And you watching that, if you know a bit of history, you're like, well, if I were you, Branson, I wouldn't be so sure. Bananas. So then he goes to uh, his medical. And well, the army doesn't want him because apparently he has a heart murmur. So he's not happy about this news because he wanted the army to want him. They can humiliate it. But Sybil, she's glad because she says, okay, so first you're not going to war. So that's a good news. And then you can't challenge the army. So you're not going to prison. So yeah, I'm glad. And they have a really strong talk because he's still angry. And she's asking him, why are you angry all the time? And they, they talk about what happened in Ireland. And she says, well, I know we weren't our best in Ireland. And then that's the moment. It's just, it's too much. Branson, he says a story about his cousin who was shot because he was probably a rebel, just like that. And so I know he's hurt and I can't know what it is like to live at that time. This whole thing, you know, with him having something against the British aristocracy. I think about, because I'm French, about the French Revolution. What first they thought the it was a people revolution, never was because it was the bourgeoisie, exactly what happened in Russia at the beginning. And then where they just start killing everybody of the aristocracy because it was the system, the problem. Sometimes I think this is a bit too much in a way that, yes, the system, there are people behind it. And there are people that, I mean, you want to say, it's not their fault if they were born into it. You're lucky or you're not. Oh, for someone, maybe it's not luck, but it's only how he fell in love with Sybil, but she's part of that world too. And sometimes I think, I think like he forgets it because yes, she's different and maybe she wants more than just what she was supposed to do, but she's still part of it and her family is part of it. So, and I can understand the hatred against an institution, but there are people around it, you know? So it's always quite tricky when you want to do a fight like that, because yes, you see that, you see just see the aristocracy, but there are people in the aristocracy and they're not all bad and they're not all deserves to, well, die. And what exactly that what happened with the, with the Tsar. Okay, they put him in prison because they wanted, they didn't want it to be ruled by him anymore. Okay, but we know what happened next. And so did they have to do it? 
I don't know. I mean, in France, they end up killing the king. So, I mean, in in France, it actually didn't work because then a couple of years later, Napoleon came and they had an emperor and then more kings. So really, revolution. I'm not sure the result was exactly what they were hoping, you know. But yeah. But like I said, I think Branson, he, all his anger, he puts it on Sibyl and on this family. And I can understand his anger. But Sibyl is not her fault and her family is not her fault. Especially, I want to say, he arrived in a great family because the Granthams, they are nice people. He even said so, you know, he said to Sibyl that Robert was a decent and, um, and a good employer. But it's definitely not like that that he's going to make her fall in love with him. That's a fact. But he still wants to humiliate the British army. And at the moment, he asks O'Brien if it's true that there's a general coming. And you see the look on his face. And I mean, he asks the question. So say, okay, he has a plan. He wants to do something. And he manipulates Carson. Because Carson, so he has this big dinner with general. And he's like, well, I have no footmen. How am I going to do it? And so he knows that Carson likes, he likes to everything to be proper. So he comes to see him and say, well, I served that table before. Uh, maybe I can help you and do it again. And Carson's like, really? You do that for me? You saved my life. Thank you. But I mean, we're not stupid. We're like, okay, if he asked it, it's because he wants to do something. And we don't know what it is. We don't feel right at that moment because he was so angry with talking with Sybil that you do not feel something nice at all. And then when he's about to serve a table, Anna, she finds a letter in Lady Sybil's bedroom and there's written, forgive me. So she reads it and you see her running, running down the corridors, running down the stairs. Love this sequence when you have scenes that just followed each other. And once you have Anna running and then you have a shot of Branson holding a terrain and coming up the stairs and the way it's made you feel like okay i know there's a bomb in the train i don't know like he's going to kill him you know the way it's made it's really like hitchcock glass of milk uh, if you have seen the movie suspicion it's it is suspicion yeah i think it is and you have carrie grant coming up the stairs with a glass of milk and this glass of milk there was actually um a light in it was glowing and so you think oh my god um, there's poison in there but it's a bit like that with the train because you have this really calm shot of Branson coming up the stairs and into the dining room with the train and then you have completely unstable ones with Anna running and so first she goes to find Mrs. Hughes and she lets her read the letter and she reads just a part and it says the bastard had it coming so at that moment, you still think maybe he's going to kill him. I mean, you don't know what's happening. And then they find Mr. Carson. Mr. Carson is um, reading the letter. And so they go to the dining room and they manage to stop Branson. But Mary, she saw what happened. You can see that she, the other one, they didn't really realize that something happened. Mary, she saw it. And so in the end, they're like, you were going to kill General. It's like, I was not going to kill him. And he just went to like put a bit, I don't know what, like oil ink sour meat but something absolutely disgusting on him just to well humiliate him but he didn't want to like say he he would have needed a bath not a coffin but truly i don't know i mean the first time i thought oh my god <laughs> he's going to kill him so at that moment he's not as extremist as that you know because he kept telling that i'm not a lunatic i'm not a revolutionary i'm a socialist so you see that he really wants things to change but he's not ready to keep people to change it. I don't know if that makes sense. So you still have hope. 
it's quite a relief to know that he would not like one day in the night just come and kill everybody. <laughs> but then after that, Carson and Institute, they talk about him and say, what, what are we going to do? And Carson, well, he doesn't want to go further with it because he said, well, nothing happened. And he just wanted to put a part of absolutely horrible thing on him. It's not, not serious, but not that serious. So yeah, so he decided just to let it go. And then we have William. William, so last episode, he had been called up and now he finished his training and so he wants to come back to the house to see everyone before going. And obviously, Daisy, she's a bit uncomfortable with that because apparently said that he has something to ask her. And so she made him believe that they were sweethearts. We know that William is in love with her, but she's not. She says she likes him, but not, does not love him. So she doesn't know, like, she wants to see him, but at the same time, she's like, yeah, but she thinks that he wants to ask her to marry him, and she's not comfortable with the idea at all because she didn't thought that her little kiss would go that far. And Carson, when he went to talk to Robert about Thomas, he also talked to him about William because he would like to keep William from harm. So he asks Robert if there's something that he can do. And so then William is back and Mrs. Papmore, she's very emotional because of what happened to her nephew. And this one I think is very sweet because Mrs. Hughes is really, she's comforting her. And like I said before, you realize how their relationship evolved because it isn't one. They were like not at each other's throats, but, you know, they were like this trouble, the storage and, you know, cook, housekeeper stuff. And I love it how she comforts her because you realize that we know that being shot for cowardice, it's awful. But they, I'm not saying they don't care, but it's almost like, you know, he went there, like he went to war, he died for his country. So in the end, he's a soldier like everybody else and he did that for his country. And there's the fact that she's comforting her and Daisy too, I just think this scene is very sweet and very emotional. Then with the whole fiasco of Branson serving at table, William, he says he wouldn't mind to serve again because where well, he doesn't know when he will have the chance again. And oh my God, <laughs> when he says that it breaks my heart, bananas. But so he serves and well, Carson, he just asks Robert, I hope you don't mind, you know, because he doesn't have his livery on because he's in his uniform. And Robert's like, no, not at all. And um, even the general thinks it's a great honor. So everything is fine. And then, well, he asks Daisy to marry him. And you can feel that, like I said, she's absolutely not comfortable because she never thought it would go that far. And it went that far because Miss Papmore kind of encouraged it. And she would say, well, you don't have to marry him, you know. It just says that you're his girl, so he go to war and he come back and everything is fine. But now he is asking her to marry him. And so she doesn't know what to do. And Mrs. Patmore, she says yes for her. And so in the end, she's like, well, yeah, okay. But she thinks it's dishonorable because she said, well, I do not love him. Like, and Miss Papmore said, well, if you don't tell him yes, he's going to be brokenhearted and he needs to not be brokenhearted so he can come back for more. And then when he comes back, you can say, well, actually, I didn't want to get married, but you're going to wait until he comes back safe and sound. But the thing is that they tell everybody because William, obviously, he's delighted. And well, Daisy is not. And so she says, well, yeah, we're going to get married after the war. And so William, I think if he could have, if we married her right away, but obviously she doesn't want that. And so this story went a bit too far and she doesn't know how to get out of it. And I'm a bit on both sides. Like Daisy wanted to tell him 
well, this is a lie. And Miss Papmore saying, you can't say that because he needs to be kind of happy or have a purpose to come back or he never will. But I don't think it was right for Mrs. Papmore to force this whole thing because in the end, she never, she just kissed him once, you know. <laughs> and so you realize that you need to think before you act. So in the end, when Matthew's here, he says that he lost his soldier servants. And so just before leaving, Robert asks him if he can take William as his servant. He says, well, I can you know, pull off your strings and, you know, make everything work out. And Matthew said, well, I can't promise to keep him safe. And Robert, well, he's not naive. So yeah, I know, but at least he has someone looking out for him because Carson asked him if there's something to that he can do. And I love it. Because again, Robert is kind and he does care about his employees and we love him for that. But yeah, William and Daisy, absolutely not the end. But just to prepare you, it's one of the most heartbreaking story, I think, of season two. Maybe one of the most heartbreaking storyline of the show. Bananas. Then, so remember Ethel, you know, Ethel that wants to do something more than being a servant and stuff. Well, when the officers arrive at downtown, she sees a Major Bryant. She sees him and she is smitten. So she sees him and she says, he's handsome. And O'Brien, again, has a good punchline. She says, handsome and off limits. So then you have a little chat between Ethel and Anna. It's be nice to have the house full of men. Full of officers. Officers aren't men, not where we're concerned. Of course, speak for yourself. Speak for you too, if you know what's good for you. And again, I'm still, I know that Julian is on Ethel's side because I've read the script book, but I'm kind of in between because yes, I'm okay for her to want to do more of her life, but it's the attitude, like she will do more and so the rest that maybe some of them can't or do not want to, well, they're less, like, she's superior a bit. And I think her issue is that she does not think before acting, and she definitely does not think about the consequences of her actions. And so you see her in the episode flirting with Bryant. Mrs. you sees that, and obviously she's not pleased about it. And with Anna, she talks about the major and you realize that she likes him and apparently he likes her too and he told her that he wants to know her better and like when Anna says well he says how he wants to achieve that well Anna she's a, a bit less naive I don't think that she thinks about the consequences of her action because her action might have some consequences bananas now let's talk about Anna and Bates. So, well, we left Anna completely brokenhearted, that we know. So then she is in the village and she sees Bates. Well, we see him too. But when she goes where she saw him, he's not there. So she doesn't know if she really saw him or if he just know her mind because she can't stop thinking about him. But then she talks about it with uh, Lady Mary. And Mary, she tells her that she will ask Carlyle, maybe he can find something, you know, because he can find whatever he wants because he works in newspaper. So Anna agrees, you know, if he can have. And we have the answer. She truly saw him because Bates now works in a pub in the village. I don't think it's, it's not in downtown, but it's a village nearby. And there was a scene that was cut. And I do believe I've seen that scene in a deleted scene. I think I've seen it. So 
I might be able to find it somewhere. It's between Anna and Mary. And Anna, she says, I want to be tired out. I don't want time to myself. And Mary asks her, do you miss him very much? And I answered, I can't think of anything but him. It's as if I were mad or ill. I suppose that's what love is, a kind of illness. And when you've got it, there's just nothing else. Mary answers, I know. I thought it was a sweet scene because, again, we see the relationship between Mary and Anna. I think the one that knows more about Mary, it's Anna. And so, well, again, well, we knew that Anna was in love with Bates, but at that moment she says, I can't think of anything but him. So then Anna, she goes to the pub where Bates works and where he's surprised. He's surprised, but not that much. Like he even says, I knew this was coming. And so he tells her that he can divorce his wife because apparently she has been unfaithful and that is enough for him to divorce her. And so, yeah, apparently he can divorce her. And about the scandal that she wanted to give to the newspaper, he says, well, I have money, I would give it. I would give it a lot, so everything would be fine. And, oh my God, this is really, really sweet. So Anna, she has been practicing with Lady Mary's new curling iron. We could see her in Mary's room trying to curl Lady Mary's hair, and then she practiced on her. So it curled her hair. And Bates, he noticed that she changed her hair. I mean, how cute, because, I mean, if someone, like, I don't know, some of your friends, someone you like, anybody in your circle notice that you've changed your hair, you keep them, because it's really rare people that instantly realize that you changed your hair. So I think this is so sweet, like, oh, he noticed that she changed her hair. Well, anyway, that's just me thinking that it is really sweet and it does not happen a lot, okay? So you keep him, okay? But well, we already know that Anna. <laughs> Before keeping him, she wants to have him first. But yeah. And in fact, she offers to be his mistress. She said, I'd live in sin with you. She's like, yeah, I'm going right in. And I love what Bates says. I know you, Anna Smith, and I love you. And that is not the right path for you. And I love him for that. You can see that he's an honorable man because she offers him to be his mistress. And he's like, no, because you're too kind and pure. I can't do that to you. I want to marry you properly. And we want them to get married because that's about time, okay? And you're like, well, everything is fine. This is so great, you know? Well, everything is fine for now. Bananas. But now it's time for my music of the day because, yeah, I decided that it's not just Mary and Matthew. I wanted to find a song for another story and they're just Mary and Matthew. And actually, this one, I had the idea after listening to a playlist on Spotify made by someone called Rom Communist. It's a place called uh, Anna and Bates or John and Anna, something like that. And it's someone who made playlists for Downton Abbey characters, but only with Taylor Swift songs. So obviously that was for me. And then I listened to this song and I thought about it and I thought it was quite nice. So that was Ivy by Taylor Swift. 
I absolutely love this song. And I know that this song is about Emily Dickinson, but I thought it was quite good because the song is about someone that is falling in love with someone else. They're already a fiancé, they're already married to someone else. And so there's a bit of that in, in this because uh, Bates is already married to someone and he's in love with Anna. But I like the, I can't stop you putting roots in my dreamland because Anna, whatever Bates did, whatever happened, she can't stop thinking about him. The moment she met him, she was like, I'm going to marry this guy. And even when he says, said to her, try not to miss me or go and dream of a better man, you know, things like that. She can't because he put roots in her dreamland. And yeah, and in, it's a war, it's a goddamn fight of my life and you started it. At that moment, I think it's Bates saying that the fight of my life right now is to get everything I can to marry you. You know, it's going to be messy because in the whole song, they said everything would be messy because of his wife. I don't know if you understand what I tried to say, but yeah, I believed that, yeah, this song could actually work for the two uh, of them. And yeah, again, I know it's Taylor Swift, you know me. So I try sometimes to put other things in Taylor Swift, but since I listen to Taylor Swift almost every day of my life, well, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And now to end this episode, let's talk about Mary and Lavinia with a bit of Matthew, but especially Mary and Lavinia. And I can tell you just before I start, there will be a lot of clips from the episode on that part because, well, we knew that Violet and Isabel were like, their exchange are great. Violet and Rosamond are just so good. I love Rosamond and I think in this episode, I mean, they just killed it, truly. I mean, I don't know what happened, but the lines are just so great and I can't say as good as they do. So yeah, I do not think you mind, but I was just wanting to warn you. Because we left last episode with Rosamond who saw Richard Carlyle and Lavinia kind of fighting together outside. And so Violet and Mary, they are talking about it. They're talking about what happened, what Rosamond saw. And so, you know, Mary's like, oh, who cares? You know, she met him in London. I mean, that's... And Rosamond, she's not even sure that what she heard, what she saw. I mean, you know. And Violet, well, obviously, she still wants Matthew and Mary to get together. So she says, well, I still think that it's a weird way for a gentleman to talk to a lady. At least you think him a gentleman. The point is, do you think he's a gentleman? I'm not sure it matters much to me. The fact that she doesn't really care if he's a gentleman, you're like, well... I'm not sure that Mary of that the pilot Mary would have said that. And so then Violet said, Well, I'm gonna go see Rosamond. I'm gonna go to London, stay at Rosamond's, and we're gonna invite Lavinia for tea and we're gonna try to know more about all this. You sound as if you're going to gobble her up. <laughs> if only we could. And I love it because Violet, she laughs at her own jokes. This is so funny. Oh, she's so funny. I love her. Violet is staying at Rosamond's is so Lavinia comes for tea. Absolutely love this scene. I'm going to say that every time, but every scene with Rosamond and Violet together in this episode are just incredible. And so we learn that, so she says, yes, uh, my father knows Richard Carlyle. My uncle knows Richard Carlyle. And so her uncle actually is the liberal minister. And so, you know, there's a bit of tension there. And she tries to light up the conversation. And Lavinia says, well, this room is really pretty. You know, has this house always been the Penswigs? And I like it because just before Violet speaks, you see that Rosamond, she wanted to say something. Violet just cuts her and she says, 
But there's no always about the pains, Wiggs, my dear. They were invented from scratch by my son-in-law's grandfather. You make Mr. Painswick sound rather a rough diamond, Lady Grantham. Marmaduke wasn't a rough diamond, was he, Mama? No, he was just cut and polished comparatively recently. Oh, God, I love this so much because you realise that Violet and Rosamond need to stay really allies against Lavinia. And so when she says something a bit bad about Marmaduke, Rosamond tries to let her say that, no, it's not that bad. And I just love how it says, and just God, this. So, I mean, because I do it there the same. Rosamond, she's definitely her mother's daughter. Truly, like what she says, how sometimes she likes to tease people, really. Um, I love it. And sometimes when she's with her mother, it's the same thing with Robert, you know, that I said that sometimes it feels like Robert's still a little boy when he's with his mother. With Rosamond, it's the same. Sometimes I feel like in some of those scenes that she's like her younger self just before she got married to Mama, like around her 20s or something. And I don't know, I love it. And then so Violet, she's with Mary at Dower House and she tells what uh, she learned when she was in London. And Mary, she's a bit fed up. She's like, poor Lavinia, let her alone. Like, she has done nothing wrong. And Violet, she says, She's an obstacle to your happiness, dear, and must be removed. When it's done, you can feel as sorry as you wish. But even if Matthew does break it off with her, why should he propose to me again? With your permission, dear, I'll take my fences one at a time. And again, I love Mary for not being mad at Lavinia and wanting to break her relationship with Matthew. And the fact that Lavinia is really a nice girl kind of happy a bit because, yeah, she's nice and... I don't know. I really like Mary. I already said it for for that. But they so want her gone because they want Matthew to marry Mary that they, the others, well, Rosamond and Violet, they don't care. But then, so we have Violet and Mary at the Dower House. But then we have Violet, Mary and Rosamond at the Dower House. And Rosamond, she is absolutely delighted because she learned new stuff. And so they talk about the scandal, so the Marconi scandal, that apparently uh, Lavinia started it by giving information to Carlisle. Mary says, okay, she gave information, but she did nothing wrong because they all broke the law. So in the end, she even almost did us a favor because we knew that they broke the law. I absolutely love this. And I think it's my favorite with um, Rosamond and Violet. But why did she betray her uncle to Sir Richard in the first place? Because oh, they were lovers. And I love it because in the script book, there were a line, a comment that I thought was very funny. It rather annoys Violet to have a punchline stolen. And you see it when Rosamond says, because they were lovers, you see that she was about to say something and she looks a bit like upset, like, oh, I want you to say that. You stole that from me. <laughs> but then she says, exactly. And Rosamond, God, I love her. And now it's down to you to save Matthew from the clutches of a scheming harlot. Really, Rosamond, there's no need to be so gleeful. You sound like Robespierre lopping off the head of Marie Antoinette. But this scene, I just love it. In, it's in that scene that Rosamond, she, it feels like she's 20 again. I don't know. I just love it. They're amazing together. I love this scene. But then during the tour, Lavinia, she realized that Rosamond must have said something to Mary. And so she wants to talk to her. And she says to her that, yes, she did start the scandal. Mary, she doesn't know what to do with that, but she, you realize that she doesn't want to say anything to Matthew. And then again, she is with Violet and Rosamond. Well, Rosamond, she literally pushes her to say it to Matthew. And then there's just Mary and Violet. And Mary's like, why is she doing this? 
Why must she be so savage? It's my broken heart, and it was her advice that wrecked it in the first place. Classic Rosamond. She's never more righteous than when she's in the wrong. Then it's dinner, and during dinner, Matthew, he thanks Rosamond, Mary, everyone, for being so kind to Lavinia. <laughs> so obviously that makes you laugh, because uh, there's a conspiracy to uh, get her out. And when Violet says, well, of course, naturally, we want to know more about the future queen. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor Lavinia, really. And then they're like, okay, did you discover something? Oh, I don't know. And Violet says, um, you should ask Mary. So obviously, Matthew's like, what is happening? And after dinner, Lavinia, she wants to explain herself to Mary. She wants to tell her why she did uh, start the scandal. And actually, she did it to save her father from ruin because he had debts. And at Carlisle, he said, well, I'll give you money if you give me something. So, so it was a deal. She had to give him the proof that they were all guilty and then he would pay her father's debt. So that's what happened. So then Matthew, he comes to see Mary because he says, well, Violet said something during dinner, like feels like you discovered something. And Mary, she says to him, she says that Lavinia is a charming person. So in, still in the end, she doesn't want to break everything between the two of them. And like what she says. The truth is, we're very much alike. So naturally, I think she's perfect. And I think the fact that she realized what Lavinia did uh, to save her father, that's why she said we're very much alike in a way that Maybe she likes her even more because before that she was this, she looked like this young, angelic, naive girl, very nice and stuff. And then she realized that, no, she did some bad things. It was not that bad, but to help someone else. So I don't know. I think that made her even like her more instead of hating her in a way. Um, I don't know. And Matthew, he, well, he says he loves her. So she loves Matthew. So she doesn't want to break his heart too. And then we have a scene that was cut. And I believe I've seen this one too. So maybe it's actually a deleted scene. It's between Edith and Mary. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, so Edith, she tells her that she heard that um, uh, Mary gave Lavinia her blessing. Mary tells her, whatever may be wrong with my life, it's not her fault. Edith then says, it isn't like you to be altruistic. Then Mary answers her, the general may have praised you, dear, but you don't need to use long words. Then Edith says, I know what you're going through. And Mary answers, that's more like it. And I like this exchange because you realize that now they do not fight anymore. We talked about it last episode, but they are not best friends, but they do not want to ruin each other's lives anymore. Well, not now anyway. And yeah, I like it. I think, yeah, the war has changed them. Well, Mary, she started him before, but the war and, uh, and now, you know, they kind of both have broken because Mary, she broke her own heart and she broke Edith's heart. So yeah, I thought this was actually a sweet scene because they were actually nice to each other at the moment. So, and then I had to talk about it, of course. The last scene of the episode, it's a Cobert scene. The only one of the episode, we had other scenes with the two of them, but not just two of them. And, oh... It's a sweet scene. I talk about Mary and Matthew. Where it's Corrado says, well, they look so natural together. And actually you see that there's a scene when, when they, Mary and Matthew are talking together about Lavinia. And Corrado, she's she is talking with Lavinia. And there's when she looks at them and she smiles like, oh, look, they look so nice together. They would be such a nice married couple. And she says that, but then she says, but I suppose Lavinia is a nice girl. 
So it's kind of the opposite of Rosamond or Violet. It's like, well, Lavinia is an obstacle. We need to get her out of the way. And then Cora, obviously, she also wants Mary and Matthew to be together because she knows that Mary loves him. But she's like, yeah, but I suppose Lavinia, she's not a bad person. So, yeah. Then Robert says something, again, very strong and poetic, like Robert the Poet's back. We've dreamed a dream, my dear, but now it's over. The world was in a dream before the war, but now it's woken up and said goodbye to it. And so must we. And then I wanted to comment about something. In the script book, it says he kisses her. It turns out the light. In the show, she nuzzles against his neck and she actually gives him a kiss. She kisses his neck and she stays there. Like she has her arms around his neck. It's so cute. Literally, she throws herself in his arms, but then he puts his arms around her. And I think I like this version better of the he kisses her and it turns out the light. Because first he takes her in his arms, then he turns out the light, when then the light is off, the episode is finished. But you realize that the movement is like, I'm going to turn off the lights and I'm going to put my arm around her again. So yeah, I think it's better. I like it better. And it's so sweet, but it's so sad. Like it's really the way that she wrapped her arms around his neck. It felt like almost, I don't know, it felt like almost she's desperate. Like there's something so sad to it, but sweet at the same time. Like because. I know we're talking about Matthew and Mary, but I'm going to end on Colbert because why not? Like I said, season two is a really hard season for the two of them. And we do not see a lot of intimacy, if I can say that, you know, because we saw more like them love gestures in season one and in season two. We do not have a lot of that, truly. And this scene is just, I love it, but it makes me so sad because I love them so much and I know what's going to happen and I'm not ready to talk about that. Bananas. But yeah, that's the end for this episode that is, again, very long. But I feel like in season two, we have even more to talk about with just me. I feel a bit more comfortable to talk and I know I have so many things to talk about. But yeah, I hope it's all right with you. I hope you enjoyed it. And the usual, if you liked it, please like send me a message anywhere whatever you want, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, if you have any of those. I would very much appreciate it. And well, so I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode four of season two. And until then, take care of yourself. And don't forget, vive la différence! <laughs>